Well, again, I want to say it's so great to be down here. And uh, for those of you who are new to me or new to Chatham Community Church, my name is Alex. And uh, really thrilled you're here. Uh, today is actually uh, my birthday weekend, and I've got some family in town. So my parents are up front here, and uh, my kids are there. Thank you, kids, for being here. And uh, uh, in, a, in a strange fate of coincidence, my mother-in-law actually had the same birthday. So uh, uh, to my mother-in-law, I want to say happy birthday to you, and, uh, and thanks so much for being such a, a great supporter of our whole family. So grateful for you on your birthday. So, so grateful. So this is week three of our series called Hungry for God. If you are just joining us, we're just talking about uh, what are we hungry for? What do we, what do we live our lives for? When my, one of my kids was really, really little, all she wanted was the four food groups, Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, and crazies. That's all she wanted, right? She would just live on that for a whole year. It's all she ate. Uh, like no vegetables, no proteins. That was all she did, right? So by God's grace and my wife's infinite patience, uh, eventually she grew out of that. Eventually she developed a broader palate, a hunger for various things. We squeezed in some proteins in there, some vegetables, and now she's a reasonably healthy 16-year-old, right? That's good. And, that, and the good thing that that, that happened because uh, she's been in super competitive gymnastics for like the last three or four years. She's at the gym four days a week for three hours at a time. Do you know how far Cheerios, Raisins, Goldfish, and Craisins would have gone in the gym if that was all that she'd been eating? Like, listen, here's the deal. We're all born with a natural set of hungers, things that we prefer, things that we are hungry for, that we all seek out after, and this is what drives much of your life. What jobs you take, what jobs you don't take, what career you pursue, who you date, who you marry, who you don't marry, kind of hobbies and things you take up, right? All, and kind of these hungers drive much of our life. And we're, we're just born with a pretty innate natural sense of pretty narrow hungers. And I'm going to put these up on the screen as a kind of these are some basics, some examples, right? Most of us are hungry for approval or applause or respect from other people, success, whatever you, however you define that, control. Any of you control freaks out there? Don't answer that. Comfort or pleasure or safety, keep me safe, keep my kids safe, keep those I love safe, or independence, right? These are some, some basic hungers that most of, you'll, you'll see yourself somewhere up there, right? Somewhere in there, right? Listen, these aren't necessarily bad things, but here's the deal. These are your Cheerios, Raisins, Craisins, and Goldfish. This is what you would eat all day, every day if you could, right? It, like, listen, if you, if you could wake up every morning and know you'd get one of these things and you could pick which one you wanted, you think you have a pretty good life, right? If I, could, if I could have safety for me and all those I love every day guaranteed, like that would be enough for some of us, right? Or comfort every day for the rest of my life. Or success or applause or approval for people every day for the rest of my life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Except life happens. And then you get squeezed. And you got career problems, marriage problems, money problems, medical problems. And if all you're living for is control, if all you're living for is people's approval, if all you're living for is comfort and convenience, you're not going to have the resilience, emotionally or spiritually, to hand up, to, to hold up under the pressures of life when it squeezes you. These aren't bad things. They're just not ultimate things. And here's what I want to say. If you take a good thing and try to make it an ultimate thing, eventually it results in disastrous things and we become lesser things. Take a good thing, comfort, not a bad thing. Say, this is the most important thing in my life. Control, this is the most important thing in my life. You take a good thing, make it an ultimate thing, eventually it results in disastrous things. You can't hold up when the pressure comes, which makes you a lesser thing. You are, made, you are not made to live with these things at the center of your life. There's something much, much bigger that God designed you for, to hunger for. So what we're doing over the course of the series is we're inviting all of us to put a hunger for God at the center of our lives. A hunger that will actually help you to be more resilient when life squeezes you. 
a hunger that is actually worth building your life around and actually puts all these other hungers in their proper place so that they are a blessing to you and those around you rather than a curse to you and all those around you. Because if you're living your life for applause or approval, respect, comfort, convenience, you, eventually it undermines you and those around you. But when you live your life with a hunger for God at the center of it all, it orders everything else, puts it in the proper place. We're reading today in Exodus 33, one of my favorite passages of the Bible, but it's, uh, it helps to have a little bit of backstory, uh, especially if you're new to the Bible or new to church. We're so glad that you're here. Exodus is just the second book of the Bible. At the end of the first book, Genesis, uh, the, this, this nation, this people, really a big family, a family of Israel, flees to Egypt because there's a big famine all over the world, and Egypt's the only place where there's any food. So they go to Egypt. At the end of Genesis, they're hanging out in Egypt, and they're safe. But then uh, several generations go by. A new king rises to power who doesn't understand this big family is growing and growing and growing, and he gets a little weird, weirded out. So he enslaves this family uh, because he wants to keep them under wraps and under control. But they, they keep growing and growing and growing over several generations, and they cry out to God, and God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses goes to the king of Egypt, let my people go, let God's people go. But he sends signs and plagues and pestilence. And finally, the king of Egypt lets the people of Israel go. And thousands and thousands and thousands of them flee from Egypt. And they're making their way to the land God has promised them, the promised land, which actually isn't that far away. But they're hiking and there's thousands of them making their way. And as they're making their way toward the promised land, they, they make a pit stop. And they hang out at the, uh, at, at, at the Mount Oreb, the, the, the Mount of God. And Moses goes to the top of the mountain. And God is actually giving Moses the Ten Commandments, like the original Ten Commandments on stone. He's going to hand Moses these Ten Commandments. But he's up there for a long time. And the people don't know what's taking him so long. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And maybe he's, he's disappeared. Or maybe he got eaten by a lion or a tiger or a bear or a yeti. Maybe he just consumed him entirely. So they go to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' sidekick. Aaron was supposed to be a helper to Moses, but he is a disappointment on so many levels. He's a hot mess. Aaron is a total disaster. And they go to Aaron, total people pleaser, and he says, they say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us a God that we can trust to take us for the rest of the journey. So Aaron says, okay, I'm doing it for you people. Whatever you want, I'll do it for you as long as you're happy with me. Give me all your gold. I'll make you a God. So Aaron sort of produced, like makes this idol out of gold. He makes this golden calf, and he declares to the people of Israel, here's what he says. He says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And the whole crowd booed. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Nice job. It's good. On cue. Good job. Okay. So Moses comes down and sees this, and he's so upset. He's irate. He smashes the original Ten Commandments. There's discipline meted out. Uh, it's, 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 it's tense. It's ugly. It's intense. Moses is angry. God is angry. And it's in that moment where Moses is praying to God in the passage we just read, because the whole thing is hanging by a thread, the relationship between God and the people of Israel. He's just rescued and delivered, but they've just, they've just betrayed him already just a few weeks out from God's dramatic sort of deliverance out of Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story of this conversation between Moses and God, where God says in Exodus 33, this is where we picked up here just a minute ago, God says, leave this place and the people that you brought up out of Egypt and go on up to the land. I'll send an angel before you, go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is an agricultural term for like an ox that can't be steered, right? A stiff-necked, like an ox that won't be steered, won't move, won't go the direction you want it to. Anyone ever raised a stiff-necked child? 
Any of you, Stiff Necked, huh? Like, uh, any spouse want to say, hey, Stiff Necked? Like, that's you, right? I've always thought it would be a good, like, band name. Moses and the Stiff Necks. That might be pretty good. That might be a good, uh, good band name. You, these people are stiff-necked people, right? Like Moses, I'll tell you what, God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you and these stiff-necks into the land I promised them. Land flowing with milk and honey, just all these signs of provision, abundance, blessing. I'm going to give you the thing I promised. I'm going to send an angel before you to drive out the nations, make sure you're safe. I'm going to give you this great gift, but I'm not going with you because you're stubborn. And what just happened here with the golden calf might happen again. And I might destroy you along the way. So God wants good for these people. He's still giving them blessings. He's just not going to go with them. And Moses has to decide, is that enough? Is it enough to just be on the receiving end of God's blessings without having God himself with you? Let's look at our raisins, craisins, goldfish one more time. What if God appeared to you in a dream tonight and said, I will give you any of these two things that you want, anything you want for the rest of your days. I'll give you all these gifts, all these blessings, but I'm not going with you. Would that be enough for you? Would that be enough? I see uh, people, I'm a church guy, right? I'm a church guy. I, I see people show up at church all the time who haven't been in church in decades or maybe never been to church before in their lives and their life is in crisis. And they've gone from totally disengaged from God or sort of just drifting along, faith wasn't much, to like faith front and center. They're showing up every Sunday, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're crying out to God like never ever before. And eventually, right, the crisis passes or God moves or stirs in their lives and things get better. And you know what? Their engagement with God suddenly isn't quite so white hot anymore. They aren't praying quite as much. They're not sort of engaged quite as deeply. See, and then eventually they kind of go back to where they were before. See, they didn't want God. They just wanted God's stuff. They didn't want God. They just wanted God to fix the problem. Now listen, God in his kindness knows that most of us go to God to fix problems. Like God knows that's where many of us start. Like that's, that's where many of our spiritual journeys have begun along the way. Like no shame about that, right? But here's the thing. God wants you to not just have his stuff. He wants to give you himself. He wants to walk with you. Be on the journey with you. It's not just about the stuff. No, here's how good God is. Here's how good God is. God knows that we often come to him just wanting him to do something for us. God knows that many of us go to God just to use him, not to love him. Isn't that crazy? But here's the deal. He loves us so much, he does it anyway. Isn't that crazy how good God is? God comes to people. He's got people praying to him all the time right now. In real time, people all over the world just cry out to God. Do something, do something. And God says, I'm going to do this for you, even though I know you're just using me to get what you want. And God still does it. Remarkable. And yet, the push from this passage is this. Do I want God or just want God's stuff? Do I want God or do I just want God's gifts? That's the tension that we're in. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to give you everything I promised. Promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, all kinds of good gifts. I'm not going with you. That's door number one. And then there's door number two where where the question is, uh, God, I, we want you more than we want the stuff. And Moses has to decide, what is he going to lobby for in this moment that's so tenuous? And Moses decides he's going to aggressively lobby for door number two. We want you, God, not just your stuff. And he gets pretty aggressive. My smogger this week, we're talking about this passage, and then said, Moses is a little bit obnoxious, obnoxious in this passage. Like, he's 
kind of aggressive. He keeps asking and asking and asking. He's not afraid to go boldly after God's presence and God with him. And, and this is the, uh, the, 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 the request that Moses makes to God. He says this. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. You haven't let me know whom you're going to send with me because Aaron, I don't want to step out of your will. I don't want to step out of your grace. I want to know you and I want to know your ways so that I might continue to find favor. I want to walk in that path of favor with you and before you, I want to light, walk in that light, and, and don't forget, rescue dog with all kinds of emotional problems. We should have had a child prepare us for the dog. He was so high maintenance. He was so intense. Like, he'd been, he'd been abandoned multiple times. Something happened along the way to his mama. I don't know what it was, but it was so bad. And we would, we would leave our apartment, and he would just panic bark for hours and hours and hours because we, we were gone. And then he would get in and chew and shred at whatever he could, right? So we would come home after three hours of him panic barking. By the way, our neighbors in our apartment building loved us, in case you were wondering. And they loved the dog. Uh, so we, we'd come home after hours and hours of being away and him panic barking, and he would have just shredded stuff, like blinds, books, whatever. So we would come home, and I would say to my wife, Kelly, Kelly, your dog shredded the blinds again. And she'd say, no, 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 your dog got in the trash. And I'm like, no, 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 your dog shredded my Bible. Come on, how unholy is that? It was your dog when the, when the dog was causing problems. Moses is saying to God, remember, these are your people. It's your dog. And God had just done this crazy thing, right? God had just set his people free. He had stamped these people with his name. He had just unleashed all kinds of plagues on the biggest, baddest superpower in the ancient world, Egypt. He had just sort of driven king, the king of Egypt to his knees. He had just done amazing things and said, these are my children, set rest. Now, part of why this is a strange pronoun is this. Almost any time you read in the Bible where it says the word you, it almost always means y'all. Because God's a good southerner, Amen. And he loves the delightful pronoun, y'all. So y'all is the default pronoun throughout the New Old Testament and New Testament. It's almost always y'all. But here, the word y'all is not there. It's actually the word you, Moses. My presence will go with just you. Forget the stiff necks. I'll go with you, Moses. And I'll give you, singular, rest. That is like in the Old Testament, it's just favor, blessing, all sides, peace on all sides. Like flourishing. That's good. Right? That's God's provision for him. So... Moses says, hey, don't, don't, don't neglect us. And God's budged a little bit. God's moving just a little bit. Okay, I'll go with you, Moses. I'm not going with them, but I'm willing to go with you, Moses. Not a bad start. Now, God's changing his mind a little bit. And I, what I want to propose to you, a quick aside, is this. This is actually pretty consistent throughout the scriptures where God is not afraid to respond to mere human beings' requests. It's amazing. Remarkable, actually. God makes his decision doing something people pray and intercede and god says okay i will do that or i won't do that thing that you're asking me to do it's pretty crazy so here's the good news everything is not prescripted everything is not as it should be you are actually a part right now in real time of being a part of what god's going to do in the future by how you pray and how you obey you can actually change the future by how you participate cooperate how you lobby before the lord and pray before the lord this this is how god this is how god wired up the world okay god wired up the world this he creates paradise he says, I'm going to put people in my image into paradise, and I want you to go and work it, have dominion, have authority. I want you to manage this place, make paradise more paradisal, more beautiful. That's how good God is. I'm going to give you authority over this place. That's the game that God created when he created all things at the very beginning, and he delights to win that game. Nothing directly that he can The invitation to all of us is to step into the way that God designed the world. There are all kinds of people introducing good and bad into the world right now by how we act, how we talk, and how we pray. 
And God has designed the world such that when we pray, it's an, it's an agent. It's how God releases good into the world. When you pray, God releases good into the world. And so, my friends, especially for those of you who feel like I'm praying, and praying, just hitting the ceiling. I'm tired. I'm trying to be faithful and do the right thing. And I'm tired and no good seems to be coming out of it. I've been sent here to tell you the good news. God hears your prayers. Your prayers make a difference. God hears the prayers, responds to the prayers, and part of how God acts into the future is in partnership, collaboration. He's still God. He's still sovereign. He still says no to things sometimes, all the time, right? Because they're not wise or faithful. But God hears our prayers and responds in real time to release redemptive, beautiful beauty into the world in response to how you and I pray and obey. Moses stepped into the situation where God's saying, go on to the promised land. I'm not going with you. He says, no, 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 no. We don't want your blessings without you. We want you more than your blessings. Remember, this nation is your people. God says, okay, I'll go with you, Moses, and my presence will give you rest. That's a good start, but Moses is not done. Moses is going to keep pushing this thing, keep pushing this thing, pushing this thing. And Moses responds with this. He says, if your presence does not go with us, not just me, but with us, do not send us up from here. Can you read that with me? If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses says, we don't want to go into even the promised land without you. We don't want your gifts more than we want you. One more time with your Cheerios, Raisins, Craisins, and Goldfish. I want you to pick your top two. Maybe your top one. That you know, man, if I was offered all these things all the rest of my days, it'd be the most, I, I would, I would, this is the one I would choose. This is the one I would most like. And here's what I want to invite you and challenge you to pray. This is part of how we cultivate a hunger for God. I want to invite you to pray Moses' great prayer. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me that thing. I want you more than I want that thing. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me safety all my days. I'd rather have you than have safety. Safety is good. You are better. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me success all my days. I'd rather have you than have success. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me applause or approval or respect. I don't need the respect of other people. I've got your love. That's all that matters. I want you more than I want other people to respect me or applaud me. Lord, I love comfort. But if your presence doesn't go with me, don't make me comfortable. I'd rather. And God being greater than the, this, than the gifts he might give us. So I want you to look at this one more time. I want you to think about your one thing that you want out of all these things. And I want to invite you. I'm going to give you like literally three seconds of, of silence to pray this prayer quietly. It's almost like a practice. It's almost like, all right, let me, it's kind of a little awkward maybe. I'm not sure I can quite say the words, but like, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's like jump rope. You might get tangled up initially, but you kind of find the rhythm of it eventually, right? That's all right. Can you think, can you think of one thing? All right, I'm going to, Lord, I want this thing, but if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me that thing. I want you more than that thing. Can you pray that just for a second? Amen, amen, and amen. May the Lord hear our prayers and cultivate a heart for him. This is the, one of the beautiful prayers that Moses prays. It's a turning point in the whole story. And he continues to sort of make his case before the Lord for why God should continue to go with them, even though he might smite them along the way. He says this, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people, with all of us, unless you go with all of us? What else will distinguish me and all of your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by 
my, uh, my house growing up was very much a house built on faith and prayer and scripture and Jesus. And my parents were very uh, deeply faithful people. Thank you for that legacy, mom and dad. Grateful for that. And, uh, and my, my parents were especially tuned in to the fact that us as a family following Jesus meant we're going to be a different kind of people. We're going to do things differently. In fact, one of my mom's favorite mantras was, uh, was this, we are different. And as a teenager, it's the last thing you wanted to be. Not good, not good news to me. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be different, right? But my, my, one of my mom's favorite mantras was, we are different. She knew that a life where faith was actually being worked out in our lives in real time as a family was going to make us different and distinct from the people around us. So Moses builds his case with God. He says this, what else is going to distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth if you aren't with us? Listen, God, like I said earlier, God already stamped them with his presence. He'd already done signs and wonders, set them free from slavery in Egypt, part of the Red Sea. In fact, uh, several years after this whole experience, they're going to make their way to the promised land and they're going to come up against nations. And the nations are going to declare, this is the people that God delivered from Egypt. Like they're going to remember that story decades later when they're going into the promised land. So Moses says, don't leave us now. Like your presence is what's going to make us different. That's what's going to distinguish us. Now here's the deal. There are going to be some things, that, there are going to be some very earthy ways that they're going to look different. The Ten Commandments are very different from the other commandments that we have from ancient, ancient literature and ancient civilizations. There's going to be rules about Sabbath keeping and resting and trusting the Lord even on a, on a work day. There's going to be Rules about worship, there's going to be rules about not lying and not stealing. There's going to be laws and rules around sex and sexuality that have always been weird. Every culture, every generation, every place, through every, throughout all nations has always looked at the Christian, Judeo-Christian sexual ethic and said, that's weird, that's odd, that's too hard. Every year, every generation, nothing new. But maybe it's true and wise and good. In spite of the fact that every, every generation, every culture has said, that's too weird. Too different doesn't make sense to us so there's going to be earthy outworking there are going to be rules and some of us hate the rules some of us grew up in churches it was all about the rules nothing but the rules 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 it was just piled on top of you and it was exhausting but listen the rules can be out of place and out of proportion the rules can ruin a good relationship with god on the other hand some of you love rules yay rule nerds you like knowing what's right, what's good. I can check the boxes. I know if I'm a good person. Some of you love the rules. Some of you hate the rules. But listen, it's never been about the rules. It's not about the Ten Commandments with us. Rules, whether you love the rules or hate the rules, it's not about the rules. It's about the presence of God. And the rules are secondary. And we follow them as best we possibly can. Moses knows this. Moses knows that what makes God's people distinctive is not the rules and it's not even the blessings. Right? Neither the rules nor the blessings of God. Not the rules of God, not the blessings of God. Not the promised land, not the thou shalt not, or thou shalt in the Ten Commandments. It's not about either one of those things. It's all about the presence of the living God. Calling people alive from death to life. Waking us from our slumber and saying, I had no idea that there was a God this good. I had no idea this was, there was this much life and love and relationship. I had no idea that this was even possible. It's all about God himself. That is the greatest gift he could possibly give. And Moses knows that's what has to distinguish him and the people from all the other people in the world. It's the presence of God. And God says, okay, I'm going to do this thing you've asked. I'm going to go with all y'all, even the stiff necks. And I'm going to be with you, and my presence will be with 
all y'all. Now Moses is on a roll, right? Moses is crushing it. God's like working with him and working with him, working with him. So Moses pushes it one last time. Moses makes one last crazy audacious request. Now show me your glory. This is a great request. God, give me all of you I can handle. Give me all of you I can handle. Show me your goodness, your beauty, your love, your light, your truth. The, wor the word for glory is literally the weight. Show me the weightiness of your character. Show me how wise you are, how great you are. Next week when you come in here, 9 o'clock at 10.30, what a great first prayer. As you sit down in your seat, Lord, show me your glory. Pray or read the Bible. Show me your glory. The whole earth, this whole place, all of Pittsburgh is full of God's glory. And almost everyone is sleepwalking right past it, including most of us. Oh, Lord, I don't want to miss any of it. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Give me eyes to see your glory. And then a follow-up prayer might be this. And, Lord, would you release more of your glory? Would you release more of your glory? Because here's the deal. The world, a bit of a mess. Amen? Like, and some of us are in situations with, like, family, extended family, neighbors, coworkers, people at school, on your HOA, in all kinds of different contexts where there's conflicts and there's brokenness and there's weeping and there's tears and there's people who are struggling and people who are laboring under all kinds of weight and challenges. And the prayer, God, release more of your glory in the situation is a healing prayer. It's a restoring prayer. It's a renewing prayer. It's a reconciling prayer. It, God's glory heals the weight of the brokenness. The weight of the God's glory heals the weight of the brokenness of this world. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, show more of your glory. Release more of your glory in our own lives, in our family members, all across Pittsburgh and beyond. Would the glory of the Lord reign across this community like waters cover the earth? Would the glory of God fill this place? So much transition happening in Pittsburgh, right? So much change. Some of us hate that. Some of us have no idea that people hate it. We just got here like five minutes ago. God, in the midst of all this transition, all this growth, all this change, would you show your glory? Would you come? Show people in this community how good you are, how much you love them. Come, Lord Jesus, show us your glory. Release more of your glory. Now, before we wrap, I want to ask a, a, a larger question, a meta question that maybe some of you aren't quite asking, but it's kind of back in there in the background. And the question is, the question is this, why bother with this? Why bother? Like maybe faith hasn't been that important to you for a long time. Maybe never, maybe it's never clicked with you, never made sense to you. Maybe you, know, you come here because a spouse drags you or someone, or you just kind of accidentally came to church. I don't know why you're here. You don't know why you're here. Like, why am I here? You don't even know. We're so glad that you're here. Why bother? Listen, these things are so much easier. You know what life looks like with these things, right? And all kinds of people are doing this, living for these things. Why bother? Why bother hungering for God? Would these things make you reasonably happy for a short period of time anyway? Why should you bother? It sounds like a lot of work and God's far away and how do I even know what that looks like? All kinds of good questions. Listen, I want to come at that because it's so important. Why bother with the hunger for God? I want to go back to Aaron's quote back there when he kind of threw out the golden calf, right? These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. We booed this because it wasn't true. The golden calf could not save them. It did not save them it was not there was no power in the golden calf gold is good a calf is cute those two things do not make a god that was not the power that saved them the lord is the one who had the power to save them and did save them and that same lord put on flesh a couple thousand years after this event and he stepped in to become the true moses the fulfillment of moses the one who frees us the one who actually does set us free from sin and from death. He has come to liberate you from your two greatest enemies, sin and death. Success, approval, control, comfort, pleasure, safety, independence. These are golden calves that cannot save us. They don't have the power to do so. They can placate you. They're like a pacifier to keep you distracted. 
from what God actually made you hungry for. And if you settle for them, you are missing out on life on a whole new dimension, whole new level. There is resurrection power, redemption, that God has unleashed into the world to set people free from sin and death forever. Don't satisfy for likes. Don't, sat, don't, set, don't settle down or satisfy yourself for likes on Facebook or people liking you. It's a waste of a life. Too small a thing to live for. These things are good things. They're not ultimate things. And if you build your life around these things, you are living a shell of a life. And the Lord made you for so much more. Come in, come in, come in. There is resurrection power in a few short weeks. We're going to celebrate the mystery of Good Friday where Jesus surrendered to the angel of death to wash away your sin. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate how God raised him from the dead so that death might no longer be the last word over your life or my life ever again, anymore. All who put their faith in him, God releases resurrection power into their lives. Don't waste your life chasing after likes or success or approval or just getting your own way and having control over things. It's too small a life to live. Instead, Build your life around the God who created you and redeemed you, who's redeeming millions of lives all around you right now and all around the world in real time. It's happening. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let your life be a part of God's magnificent redemption story. That's why it's worth fighting through these other things to get to a place where you are actually hungry for God. Today's wildly important take-homes, in case you're new to me, in case you fell asleep five minutes in, I try to give you the highlights real quick. That's what I do at the very end. So here's the highlights if you fell asleep on me at the very beginning. One, approval, success, control, comfort, pleasure, safety, independence. These are the things that cannot save us. They are good things, but don't try to make them ultimate things because when you do that, it eventually results in disastrous things and makes us lesser things. Next. Key question, do I want God or am I satisfied just to have his gifts? So I want God or do I just want God's stuff? This is something that for even those of us who have been Jesus followers for a long, long, long time, we've got to come back to you over and over and over again. A great hungry for God prayer, the first one we came to was, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't give me the thing that I kind of want. I want you more than I want that thing. And then next, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, release more of your glory. And then finally, why bother with hunger for God? Well, easier things are golden calves that cannot save us. Jesus is the resurrected king. Love power to save us from sin and death his power changes has changed more lives than anything else in, in all of history his love his power has changed more lives than anything else in human history don't miss what god's doing come be a part of what god's doing he's a redemption power in the story that will one day make everything everything new let's pray lord jesus thank you for your kindness and your love for us thank you for being the great gift and we, Holy Spirit, that you would make handling these challenges who, uh, all of us who feel the draw and the allure of any number of things, control, comfort, convenience, there's all the uh, applause, approval, success, Lord, we, uh, any number of things we might chase after, Lord, we, we lay those at your feet and we pray that you would give us open hands and open hearts to receive the love and the grace you have for us. For my friends who are here who are like, why bother with this? I pray that you might wake them, wake them up. Wake up, my friends. Wake up. The Lord is here. He's calling you. He's inviting you. I made you for so much more. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would awaken in all of us a deeper hunger for the living God. We pray in Jesus' strong, mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.